0: Bell Fever podcast. If you're wondering why there's new theme music and a new name, the whole backstory is in the last episode, but the TLDR is that the last name was often misunderstood, and a friend played some new fiddle music. On today's podcast, we talk to Caitlin and Brian Gregg, both Olympians, parents of Heidi, and Caitlin, a five-time Berkey champion. And a week after the Berkey, they hopped on an airplane to Sweden to ski the 90-kilometer fossil open, and right before COVID hit because while most of us were sipping a beer, they were flying across an ocean for the longest World over race, a 90-kilometer classic race a week after the Berkey, in a snowstorm. Sounds like type 2 fun to me. This content was recorded in early March, and we talked further about skiing the World Cup in Minneapolis, but I cut that out because, of course, the World Cup was canceled. So the end might be a bit snipped, but I hope you understand. All right, welcome to the podcast, Team Greg. Caitlin and Brian and Greg, for those of you who have never listened to this podcast before or have missed about half the episodes, are part of Team Greg. They are both Olympians. They're both Berkey winners or high Berkey. Fin. Brian, have you won the Berkey or is it just your lovely wife? She, she holds that one. I've gotten second and third. <laughs> she has five wins. Gun first several times. Yep. I do the dishes. And one of the reasons I want to have them on is not to just talk about the Berkey, but the last uh, time we heard from Brian was in the fall. And Brian had run the New York Marathon, which I also ran. He ran it a, a couple minutes faster than I did. Caitlin was going to and, and was injured. Maybe we'll talk about that in a little bit. But Brian, how did the marathon go for you?
1: What an awesome experience. That was my first first marathon and really my first big road race. I would admit that I probably could have been a little bit more trained for running. I did run more than I have in the past. But uh, running's hard. It's a lot easier, I feel like, to do a bunch of ski training. I feel like I could go for a three-hour ski, a roller ski, and I can be productive in the afternoon. i go for a three-hour run, and let's see, I gotta grab the baby here. (laughs) Go for a three-hour run, and I felt like I'd just be toast for the rest of the day. But what an incredible experience from the, the helicopters flying over and the paratroopers jumping out, and great rendition of Star Spangled Banner to... Just doing an event with that many spectators and that many people cheering, there were more people it was it was just an amazing energy and uh yeah what what a fantastic experience. I probably would pace it a little differently last time. I was about five minutes faster my first half than my second half, but super fun
0: and we had just a perfect day for it. It was fifty and sunny, and you know weather weather can play such a big role in those so. I, I sort of feel like we all lucked out and Brian wasn't the only skier. There were uh three women from the US ski team as well who ran the race and, and all ran quite well. So uh it was it was a really great experience. And and Caitlin, you had an injury last uh last summer that kept you from running. What tell us about that? Well, first of all I should mention before that I should mention that who you're hearing in the back is Heidi and Heidi's just over a year old now.
2: Yep, thirteen going on fourteen months here this week. She's uh she's really excited. She's right in the middle of this right now. <laughs> right in the mix. Ah! <laughs>
0: Yeah, hi Heidi. What was your injury that you had?
2: I had a uh, had a great. actually a fall injury. I had a great summer of training, great fall of training. I was just out for a for a trail run at our local park here in Minneapolis at Theodore Worth Park, and I just it was kind of just a bad luck uh, situation. There were some leaves on the trail, and I I, I hit a root with my foot, and it kind of wedged my shoe oh. in under the root which caused my leg to kind of stop, and unfortunately it was on a downhill, so the rest of my body kept going, and uh, and I actually ended up uh, detaching my right hamstring so uh, from my hip bone, which is uh, it's a pretty catastrophic injury, definitely a, a career-ending injury. I actually have a, a similar hamstring injury on the left side, which may have been what compromised the right side. I had a bad roller ski crash about eight years ago and partially tore the left side, but uh, that did not need surgery. But the right side, the surgeons were pretty convinced it was going to need surgery right away. And I would be out for 18 months to two years. And they were unsure if I would be able to run again after the surgery. So I kind of took some time and thought about it and uh, decided to actually go a conservative route and just go with PT. So I I happened to find a, a fantastic PT who worked uh, extensively with me and did a lot of great therapy, a lot of great strengthening, and uh, I'm actually back up and running now. And uh, I might I might take on that New York Marathon after all. I'm not really sure how that's possible, but my PT is a is a Wonder Woman, and uh, things seem to be going well. I'm not sure how speed work will feel, but I think I think I can I think I can hold up for the duration. So may not be the fastest marathon, but. I think it'd be possible in the long run.
0: So, run running was out for you, but you did get back for ski season. And both of you, with with the one year old, <laughs> with sort of jobs and real world things, still performed pretty well on the ski circuit. Uh, and both ski the Berkey. How was the Berkey this year?
2: Yeah, I think we've definitely kind of decided that. I think most most parents we met somewhere along the line we had someone come to us and say, you know, that our our lives would be much different, and you know, we'd have to kind of put everything that we do on the back burner now that we have a kid and you know it won't be the same and we kind of took that as a challenge so I think what we decided was we were going to try to do everything we were doing before and add jobs add the baby and even add a couple extra things like the New York City Marathon and uh the Voslo but we'll get into and still try to like you said perform at the highest level so we kind of apparently we like we like those challenges so uh the Berkey, the Berkey went okay. We, uh, I unfortunately had a cold for the Berkey, so it wasn't, wasn't my best day, wasn't my best performance. I was actually pretty psyched with fifth. I think that that was better than I had ever expected, um, considering how I was feeling and kind of what I was going through.
0: And the women's race was pretty strung out, right?
2: Yeah. So I was, I was able to kind of fake it for about 15K with the lead women, and then at about 18K... They really started breaking up and I think I think Jess Eaton, she was you could tell she was she was skiing strong from the beginning and uh and Rita Lisa Openin was also skiing strong and I think that from what I saw, you know, when I watched the replay, just went at double O and just never looked back, which is pretty cool.
0: Brian, the men's race was more of a pack race then.
2: Oh
1: well, it might have been up at the front. Yeah, I guess it, even in my pack there was a uh, part there. The uh Deer Hog went to the front and sort of strung things out, and I think they got into maybe a pack of seven or eight or maybe a little bit more than that. I ended up being in a group where there was maybe six or seven of us. It's interesting because that was probably – that was one of the first Berkeys that I've done where I haven't been in that, in that lead group, but I just try to convince myself, like, well, I'll just pretend that this is the lead group. And we had a group of guys. We were trying to work together. I knew just sort of the way that the Berkey plays out that as we got through some of the Hillier sections – there was a large chance if the group up front wasn't able to break away or spread things out that, that we might be able to catch them. So it sort of organized the group, and we'd take 30-second poles off the front, and unfortunately we never really ended up catching anybody. So that, that was sort of a uh, – but it, it, it was fun to ski like that, and uh, there were some fast skiers in that group, and so that was, that was quite enjoyable.
0: It was a super fast day, I, I think, for everyone. The faster you are, the faster you went. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was.
1: I I think that was one of the more perfect days of cross country skiing I've ever had. I mean, it was so much fun, and, and so many people had really strong races. And the fact that the times went went well, I think sometimes the times it doesn't really mean so much on the times because a lot of it's dependent on the tactics of the race or the or the snow. But so many people, that's a big goal. uh is your time in the Berkey, and so I was really happy to to. To hear from so many people that really had just a great day, great experience. It was wonderful for, for people spectating and lining up Main Street. And it's just really great to have a perfect day on one of the bigger events here in North America. To just, It's just great for skiing.
2: And, and we're pretty unique because uh, we head up for the Berkey, but we also, we also tend to bring a lot of family. And our family obviously keeps growing. And I think the people in our family who want to participate in the Berkey keep growing.
1: Yeah, that was really cool. So Caitlin's sister, uh, she came and helped us with Heidi when we went and did the World Lopet in Iceland last year. And so she came and skied the Cordelopet. She's been skiing on roller skis throughout the summer, but it was her fourth time ever on snow skis. And she crushed the Cordelopit.
2: She lives in L.A., for context yeah. yeah
1: my my yeah, it's not a not a skiing hot uh-uh. <laughs> my dad was able to to come back he's he's done the berkey a number of times but he hasn't in recent years and he'd hopped into the quarter and he's 77 so he got to enjoy the wave of 70 and and starting there with the, the legends so that's pretty fun and
2: my uncle from uh, california
1: Ka- caitlin's uncle and
2: his friend from from manhattan and mm-hmm. then my
1: my brother and
2: and his wife and Alita. his wife
1: and some yeah. friends
2: from seattle I mean, we had a we had a packed house and uh, three yeah. babies.
1: You know, guys got, got a little little fun with Heidi, somebody to play with, and
0: Yep. and soon to be in the yeah.
2: Exactly,
1: uh, exactly. We... So that's a you know that's a really cool part I think about the Berkey. is about bringing all of these friends and family
0: together for the race, and it's great. And I think there's so many people like that, and that's really a lot of what the race is about. Now, most of us after the Berkey went and had a couple beers and stood on Lake Hayward and maybe mm-hmm. got a sunburn. Uh, and then went home and thought about what we were doing with the next few months of our life. When did you get on the plane to Sweden?
2: <laughs> well, Brian, Brian went back to work on uh, on Monday, and uh, we I, it was really awesome. The opportunity kind of came to me when I actually when I injured my hamstring. I thought, oh my gosh, well, if I can't, I don't know if I'll be able to classic ski. I don't know if I'll be able to stride. I better start working on my double pole, and then this idea came to me that I might, you know, I knew I was, I was already training and, and in good shape. And I thought, well, I wonder if I'll ever be in this good shape again. I should, I should go big. I should go for the Swedish Voslopit. It sounds like an epic challenge. And, um, that uh, kind of was the back of my mind. I contacted the race organizers to see if I could an, an elite start. And, uh, we decided to go up and do the Mora Voslopit, um, which is two weeks before the Berkey. In Mora, Minnesota. In Mora, Minnesota. And the first place uh, prize for that is a trip to Sweden for the Swedish Fossilopit. And so um, this an awesome event. We love, you know, we love that area up in Mora. Um, Brian's done the race a number of times. I did the last chance race there last spring as my first race back from pregnancy. So it was really cool. It was a beautiful day and we won the trip and the organizers were great and and let us take the trip this year. And so that was another, you know, catalyst for us to kind of make the make the jump
0: and usually they push it it's the the year after
2: exactly exactly yeah so they were really great and 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 supportive and uh yeah and so we we really can't thank them enough for that so we were able to go over to Sweden and bring Heidi of course and uh Brian's brother came to support and he was actually uh in charge of watching Heidi while we raced but um he got to ski a bit on the uh, on the Vos trail with Heidi the day before, which was pretty cool. I think I think he liked that. It's fun. To, it's fun to be able to bring Heidi along when we do these things. But we didn't end up leaving until late Wednesday.
1: Yeah, there's a great uh, evening flight to Europe a 9:20 p.m. flight, which we kind of wanted to take that so that Heidi could just sleep and um,
2: you could get in a day of
1: work. And I could get a full day in a, at the office, and so. You know, I ended up working out pretty well. I took Thursday and Friday off, and then flew over. Yeah, and the flight went went fantastic. It, Minneapolis, Amsterdam, Amsterdam, Stockholm, and we uh, drove up and got into to where we were staying. And after that kind of travel, I just everybody's ready to go to bed, and we all
0: slept hard and ready ready to go the next day. And now, so the Mora Vassalopit, for people who don't know, it's the longest of the World Lopit Coursers. It's a 90-kilometer race, and it has a course profile with, which really just has one big hill at the start, right? <laughs> that's what I oh, thought.
2: That's, that's exactly what we thought. <laughs>
0: And
1: what's the, uh, what's the reality? That might be the case, but based on based on the amount of glycogen in my system, I thought that it was much hillier than that.
2: <laughs> I seem to remember a lot of hills from that race. And again, like Brian said, maybe it was my, my glycogen It was unique state. in that it's,
1: it, uh, it hadn't snowed for several weeks there in Sweden. It was mostly a man-made course, and then it snowed between three and five inches on race day. And so things would definitely slowed down a little bit. We both chose to go without kick wax and double pull the entire course. And uh, if I was going to do it again, I think I would do, make the same call. But uh, I lost a lot of time in the last 30K. I bet 200 people so or so passed me. What was amazing is I would suspect it wasn't until maybe around 300th place before somebody passed me that had kick wax on their skis. So. A lot of people were double-polling.
2: It was it was incredible. I...
1: But that by no means is to say that the course was
0: flat.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, have you raced it, Ari?
0: No, the longest race I've done is the Marcia Longa. Okay. In, uh, I did it last year in Italy, and it was sort of similar in that it sort of has a long gradual hill at the start, and everyone says not to use kick wax, but I used kick wax and lost a lot of places at the end until that race that course has a big hill at the end and uh, they have a kick wax station and they put some quister on my skis and i passed them all oh, back, that's so awesome that was nice.
2: very cool very cool i have to say the vassalope it i'm not known as a good you know as a great double polar but i thought well over 90 k i think this will be this will be right up my alley i'm i'm this is a new challenge i'm looking forward to it i've obviously done a number of berkeys and other marathons and uh it's, it's a whole nother beast. I have to say I was extremely humbled by the experience. One, by how many people are actually very, very good at double pulling and how many people are very good at double pulling for 90K. That was, that was incredible. That was just in itself amazing to see. And how many hours does this take you? Uh, it was definitely a slow year and I was definitely way off the pace of the win. So for me, it was six hours and 15 minutes. You, Brian.
1: I was not just a little bit ahead of that, maybe five, fifteen, five twenty, something like that. Yeah. But the winners, the winners are doing it about four twenty-five. It depends on the
0: year. um In a fast year, I think people have done it under well under four hours. But that's still more than well more than twice as long as either of you took to ski the Berkey. So it's like getting to Hayward, turning around, yeah. and skiing back together. Yeah. yeah,
1: and that was an experience. We had a little bit of. uh some sort of novice mistakes, which I would hope not to have at our age, but we both ended up skiing with camelbacks and my camelback froze on the start line. We were running a little late to the start to the point that we actually got out of the car and ran the last uh, two miles to the start line. We made it there within seven minutes, so,
0: you know. So, 94K race for you. Yeah, yeah,
2: it was. <laughs> it, it, I guess was, it was
1: a good, probably would not have normally warmed up that much. It ended up being a pretty good warm-up. Oh, it was a good warm-up. The stress level was high. <laughs> yeah.
2: It was one of those things where the adrenaline's pumping, because if you missed your start, you were at the back of those yeah, 15,000 yeah. people. I mean,
1: one of the best things that we had was the fact that we were starting near the front of that of that group. So, yep. the uh, it's just wild to see, I mean, the... Um, they do a great job in the U.S. Vassalope at capturing the, the Hospi- history of the sport. Hospitality. And the hospitality. And, and, and so many similarities of that came with the with, uh, Swedish race. But there's, there's 15,000 people, 15,000 cross-country skiers that all go off when the, when the gun starts. Although, little known fact, there's not actually a gun. They just raise the flags. And then throughout the course of the week, they have events all week, Vasa Week. And so they have a night 90 kilometer race, a night 45 kilometer race. They have the Blueberry Vasa Lopit, which is uh, maybe a nine kilometer race so that everybody has a chance to participate in that. And then they have the open track event where you can just ski the course all week to get credit for the, for the World Lopit. And it's in total, there are 60,000 skiers that participate in, in Vasa Week. And that's, that's just awesome. It's so and, cool, and you can see that excitement all around town, at the airport, everywhere, and it's it for me. It's the it's that excitement that I get when you know Berkey Fever comes to to Hayward, Wisconsin, and it's like exponential. So that that was really something special to be a part of.
0: It sounds like an experience a lot of people probably should should have. It it takes Berkey Fever and and puts it on almost another level. Although it's I guess it's different for each country. And I know that it's a an experience to go to really any of these races and ski them, but the Vasilopa, the Berkabiner Rennet are really the... The two that are there that are the biggest and have the most yep, history. Yep. Now you just came back and you uh you actually didn't go to Switzerland because the Engadin was cancelled because of coronavirus, but you got back, uh Caitlin, you got the news that you're gonna be skiing in the World Cup races which are coming to Minneapolis.
2: I got an email saying that if I wanted to start in the uh the Minneapolis World Cup and the it's actually a sprint tour, so it goes two races in Quebec and then Minneapolis, that I had qualified I, in hindsight i might not have uh knowing that that was a possibility i might not have uh double pulled the ninety k two days before um but uh but you know and at the same time yeah I wouldn't trade that experience at all and and i'm i'm extremely extremely excited for the opportunity to um to race a world cup in the u s and uh not only that but uh, Brian and I live right uh, next to Theodore Worth Park, and so the opportunity to wake up in my own bed and walk to the start of a World Cup, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of a dream right there. And
1: it's it's been so exciting to see this. So many people in the community have worked so hard to to make it possible to to bring a World Cup to to the U.S. and and to Theodore Worth Park, and it's really fun to see. It's you know, the Lopit Foundation is an organization we've been a part of for a really long time from starting off with fundraisers to, you know, the run for snow and to get snowmaking. And so to see, see what the organization has become and the types of events that we're able to showcase uh, to the world and to, to our home here in North Minneapolis is really, really awesome.
0: And I, there's very few people in the world who really will ever be able to say that they've walked to a World Cup ski race and skied in it. Unfortunately, these ranks did not get a chance to grow, but hopefully we'll all be back in Minneapolis for a world cup next year. As I mentioned in the last episode, the podcast now has a Patreon. So if you want to support the podcast in berkeyguide.com and probably get some swag and definitely get a mention on the podcast, send a self-addressed stamped envelope to, no wait, it's 2020. Go to patreon.com slash off7, or if that's too hard to spell, go to berkeyguide.com and find the link. And a shout out to a new supporter, Brian Marks. Thanks, Brian. The Main Street Podcast is in production. Look for the first installment of that later this month. And thanks to Katherine Carlson for the theme music. Stay safe and healthy, everybody.